Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3 p.m. to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. Well, Adma, welcome to those that have already been given. It's really good to have you here this afternoon. Thank you for being here. Hope you'll be encouraged by uh, what God's Word has to say to us today. If uh, we missed you last week, uh, I just hope you'll be able to go and find that uh, find that talk available on, I guess, Facebook, uh, YouTube, uh, maybe somewhere else, our podcast as well. And uh, you'll be able to listen in on that because uh, this right here is very much a part two of, of that experience from, from last week. Um, even had one person just tell me on the way out of the room last week, it's like, man, that was devastating. I'm like, well, come back next week. Maybe it can get better. So let's see if it can get better. Redeeming work, Luke 17 and Colossians 3. If you're just walking in on this conversation, uh, we, as a, we as a spiritual community here, we believe this is the big idea. This is our headline. This is the top line of every page for us, that Jesus changes everything. Real simple. Yeah, when we think about it, it can be a little tricky to work that all the way out for how does he change, how does he change my, my work, my job? I mean, of course, like uh, the way the Bible it ought to even be preached is he's here to provide salvation for our sin problem. We believe it goes beyond that. Yeah, that's important. In fact, there's no existing for anything else without that, but he does indeed change everything. So we're into these big ideas. Your work matters to God, and where I can hope you see see in the next, where I, I hope you'll be able to see in the next few minutes, God matters to your work. So here's an organizing idea for us. Imagine an architect drafting a blueprint for an epic structure, right? And this epic structure is going to be the building of your life. Uh, the structure is going to be complete with everything in it. It's built brick by brick. It's built with moments of triumph. It's built with moments of failure. Loads of ambition and meaning are poured into this massive edifice here. And every house, it needs a few things. It needs a solid foundation underneath it. It needs a design that captures the imagination of the one who's putting it together. It even needs an unyielding force that's going to hold it all together. And in our lives, we have these very needs. And for just a few minutes here, I want to try to show you um, try to try to offer you, even give you, urge to you. Uh, each of us in our work, we we do need a kingdom to give it some direction. We do need a story to hold it to the ground and give it some depth. We need a stabilizing power to hold it all together. I just want to try to show you that from God's word. Your work needs a kingdom. Your work needs a story, and your work needs a power. Let's get on it. Your work needs a kingdom. Jesus spoke of it in Luke 17, verses 20 and 21. Once being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. What does this have to do with our work 
Let's reflect on that together. First, maybe if you were looking in Luke 17, if you haven't found your way to a Bible, go ahead and do that because we're going to be here for a few minutes. Luke 17, uh, maybe you could consider what's happening in the chapter as a whole. In the whole of this chapter, Jesus teaches the values and the ethics of what it looks like to belong to his kingdom. He spends the first 19 verses running up to this. These are different commercials. They're different snapshots for what his kingdom is like. The kingdom of God produces a community of people. That community of people is that group of people that repents. They receive the forgiveness of God and they live in these changed lives. The kingdom of God is breaking into the world. There's healing and there's restoration. And the ultimate sign that the kingdom is here is that the spirit is here. So the kingdom of God is this idea that you have a king who's over a people in a specific place. And for 19 verses, some people are asking Jesus, when am I going to know? when the kingdom's here. And Jesus is describing for us here, if we can listen to him, the kingdom isn't something where you're going to say, here it is. It's not something you're going to say, oh, there it is. Jesus says, no, the kingdom is here. It brings us into this idea of the kingdom being already, but not yet. It's the big idea in this chapter. Jesus is teaching us what his kingdom's like. And he says, look, it's already here. Yet it's not, it's not yet fully here and upon you. If you were to read the rest of the chapter, you might even get some more clues for what's happening in these two verses. And trust me, this does have a lot to do with our work. If you look at verse 20 to 37, you see we learn more about this kingdom. In verses 20 and 21, we learn the Pharisees, they can't see this kingdom. In verses 22 to 25, you could see there just briefly, the disciples, they can't miss this kingdom. Uh, verses 26 to 30, there's something about the nature of his kingdom where the world won't expect his kingdom. Verses 31 to 33, only the self-denying will find this kingdom. And verses 34 to 37, those who miss this kingdom will indeed perish. There he is. He's cluing us up on this kingdom. So it's possible to miss this kingdom. It's possible to go through our work, go through our jobs and be a Christian and even miss the implications for what it means for us to belong to an already but not yet kingdom in our jobs. So don't miss the kingdom. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you don't have to search very far off to find the kingdom. With what Jesus has said, it's it's here. The presence of God over the people of God and the space that God's people are gathered into, the very presence of God is here. The gospel message of the kingdom, it goes out saying, if you repent and believe, you can come in and you can belong to this kingdom. So that was a lot. How about a summary sentence? It goes like this. The kingdom of God is the redemptive rule of God through his people over his creation. It's a reign that is already present, though not in its yet in its fullness. We do not build the kingdom, yet by grace we are drawn into the work of God to remake the world under Christ the King. Maybe you could turn your attention a little more acutely towards your job. What does your job have to do with this? What does this have to do with your work? Whatever your work is. If you're a full-time parent, you wish you had kids, it's just you right now and you're working a job, whatever that job is, whatever sector that, that job is positioned in, what does, what does this have to do with that? Let's, let's hone in. Jesus taught that in him the kingdom of God had arrived and that we enter that kingdom through repentance and through faith. And if you're one of those people, you've repented and you have faith, then you're indeed within that kingdom. 
We learn that kingdom is, is already here, but it's not yet fully here. The kingdom of God is present wherever the Holy Spirit is present in power. But the fullness, everything this kingdom has to offer, we're not going to find it all the way yet. And the implications for our work, they go like this. The already yetness of the kingdom, the alreadiness of the kingdom, it means that Christians can expect God's power to be at work in them in their jobs. You can expect it. You don't have to anticipate Monday morning for the rest of the weekend and then get there and walk in as if you're just on your own. The fact that the kingdom of God is already here, it means that Christians, repented of their sins, have faith in Jesus, they're possessed by the Holy Spirit, we can show up at our jobs with the real confidence. The power of God is here. He can work through me. He can work around me. He can work in this situation. But on the other hand, the kingdom of God is not yet here, is not yet here in its fullness. This means our plans for changing our workplaces, our plans for renewing the world through our individual jobs, they will never be fully and completely realized. And sometimes we'll feel like this is just going to be really hard to fulfill it all. The not yetness of the kingdom of God, it means God's created your work good. He's created you to be a worker. He's put you in the right spot. His kingdom is indeed here. His kingdom is indeed advancing. And yet, there's going to be plenty of times we feel like we're just laboring against thorns and thistles. So in general, those who believe that the kingdom is only not yet will be extremely pessimistic and negative about change in people, change in church, change in jobs, change in society. And cynicism will be your mood. And on the other hand, there are those people that believe the kingdom is already fully here. They'll be overly optimistic. They'll be naive about the possibility of revival, change, and transformation. They'll be the triumphalistic sorts, believing too much in the creational goodness and not having a big enough doctrine of sin. I know that's kind of heady. Here's where this lands in our hearts across the room. There are some of us as a church, we are prone to the alreadiness of the kingdom. There are some of us in this room, we are prone to the not yet fullness of the kingdom. And we can hear this word from Jesus as a word for all of us evenly, inviting us to, up to the fullness of both of those experiences. I don't know how to apply that to each of you. I don't even know if that's actually my job to open this up for you and to say, Holy Spirit, we're here. Speak to us, meet us as we have our jobs in view. And we're thinking about this fact that the power of God is already advancing upon the creation, yet not fully. God, what do I need to hear here? And we're just praying this up to God, even as we sit here now. You can see that your work does indeed need a kingdom. Bible goes on to tell us to tell us there's ultimately two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world, and then there's the kingdom of the devil. What kingdom does your work most commonly belong to? We also saw in the Tower of Babel just last week, some folk got together, and what did they say? They said, let's make a name for ourselves so we don't get scattered out. Let's try to build a little kingdom, a little city, just a, just a little building that can be ours. How does that go with you? Kingdom of God is already and yet and not yet fully recognized here. Your work needs a kingdom. 
Are you fully drawing on the already and not yet fullness of the kingdom of God in your job? Now that kingdom is actually told to us by way of a story. And this is why your work needs a story as well. Your work needs a story. To truly understand what's going on in your life, you need, you need a story, right? So uh, there's, a, there's a philosopher named Alistair McIntyre. He has a book called After Virtue. And in it, he's, he's helping you think about the idea that every creature lives according to a story. You're, you need a story for your life. Everyone that you're going to walk past on the way back to your place tonight, every one of those people, they're living their lives according to a story. So you just got to think for a minute, what is the story that I'm living my life by? It's, it's kind of entertaining. He, he, says, he says, imagine that you're standing at the bus stop when a young man walks up to you, you don't know anything about uh, kids. Maybe you could listen in for this piece in particular. And this, this person walks up to you at a bus stop and they simply say this, the name of the common wild duck is Hysteronicus, Hysteronicus, Hysteronicus. And they just stare at you. Even though, I know, confusing, even though you understand the sentence, what that sentence means depends on what the story is. Somebody walks up to you and says, it's a blue truck. And you're like, I have no idea what we're doing here. Like, I wasn't expecting this information, wasn't asking if, the, what, if there was a truck at all. What are we doing? It leads us to reflect, no, the only way to make sense of something that's said to you is based on what story you're in. So consider the possible options here. Perhaps the young man was mentally ill, and that would explain it. And this would be a sad moment. Or what if yesterday someone of your same gender, age, height, and general appearance had approached this young man in the library, asking him for the Latin word of wild duck, and then today he had mistaken you to be that person, and he was just trying to tell you, it's Hysteronicus, Hysteronicus, Hysteronicus. Well, I mean, that would be a bit comical. And somebody's wondering what Hysteronicus means somewhere else. Or perhaps the young man is a foreign spy waiting at a prearranged rendezvous for an utterly ill-chosen code sentence, which will identify to him his correct contact. And he's like, listen, man, it's Hysteronicus, Hysteronicus, Hysteronicus. Well, that would be a dramatic story that you're a part of, but it all depends on what the context of your story is, right? One would be sad, one would be comical, one would be dramatic. The only way to know what these individual bits are about is to understand the big story that it's a part of. Here's the thing, your work needs a story. Otherwise, we show up on Monday morning without any sense of the story that we belong to, and we're confronted with problems, or we're confronted with opportunities, or we face hardship, or things really start going our way. And if we are really aware, what is the story that I belong to? We will know what to do with the different encounters. We will know what to do with the different information that comes our way. It just leads us. Can we reflect very briefly? What story are you living out in your workplace? Is it the self-made tale? In a world where success is a direct result of dedication and talent, individuals believe that, that, that they can achieve the top level. It's in, within their reach. All you need is sheer determination. Is that the story you're living out? The self-made tale? Maybe if there was a, a story stamped on your life, it would be the rise of the, the relentless. 
Set against the backdrop of startups and innovation hubs, this saga celebrates those who burn the midnight oil, viewing rest as the reward after success and not the path to it. Rise of the Relentless. Could be the latter legacy. A classic tale starting from the humblest of positions and climbing and climbing and climbing step by step toward the pinnacle of corporate power and prestige. What's your story? A few obviously very silly ones to make us think, but what's that story? With that in view, allow me to remind you, dear friend, allow me to remind you the true story of the whole world and how you and your job fits within it. It's the story of creation and fall and redemption and new creation. It's the story of God establishing his kingdom. There being rebellion in his kingdom and God sends his conquering king along to sort things out. We see the news of this kingdom graciously going forth through men and women in their everyday jobs. And we see the eventual final culmination of the kingdom. Let's just reflect on the different movements of the story. And maybe we can find ourselves finding some energy for our work in this creation. God creates us to work. Remember, God is a worker. Work is good. God made, God worked and God rested and God created us to do the same. And when you show up, the first part of your story is my God is a worker. Work is a good thing. God made me to work. This is part of the attitude I show up with today. You remember your God said, let us make. We are created in the image of God to steward his creation. Vice regents, gardeners, stewards, developers showing up at our jobs saying, you know, work is not a curse. My God is in this and his kingdom is here. God made Adam and Eve to be gardeners and park, not park rangers. They weren't supposed to just look at it. They were supposed to do stuff with it. The raw materials of the earth to cultivate and rearrange, to be able to facilitate human flourishing. Someone has to do this. So they're rearranging the earth. Think about how that chapter of your story can inform your work. What are our attitudes towards work? Do we show up thinking this is a curse or do we show up thinking, you know what? God has a way of running the world and he's put me in this specific job. There's work to do. I'm going to lay my hands to this part of God's creation today and I'm going to be about developing it. But that's not the only part of the story. Last week we considered in depth and detail the fall. Work is cursed through our rebellion. Our rebellion against God brings deep fragmentation to God's creation. Chapter, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, they realize their sin and nakedness, the very opposite of chapter 2, verse 25, and a deep restlessness becomes ours. As we've broken our relationship with God, a deep restlessness is what we know. Genesis chapter 3, verses 10 to 13, God comes along to interview his image bearers. He's like, what happened here? You remember the story. Adam avoids the whole truth and complains. Adam deflects to Eve. Eve deflects to the serpent. And then the whole thing ends with Adam blaming God for giving him a wife in the first place. Chapter three, verse eight, you have this inadequate awareness of sin. You have this moral schizophrenia that takes over humanity and it hasn't stopped. Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel increased technology. Let's get together, let's bake bricks, not create a culture to honor God. Let's start creating cultures to honor self. Let's start creating things to prop up the name of our God. Let's start creating things so we can put our names at the top of it. As a result, there's babble, there's confusion, and it's a picture of humanity in our sin. And we praise God this afternoon, friends, because God didn't say, let's just leave them there. God said, let's send 
a deliverer into this world. But let me ask you, are we holding both creation and fall in balance when it comes to our work? Are you a cynical sort that shows up at your job just overly convinced of sin and idolatry, not believing God is in this thing at all? Or do you show up at your job not paying enough attention to the fact that the human heart is warped severely and we do not have the skills or the resources to straighten this thing out on our own? Which is it? Finally, there's redemption. This is the story of our work. Maybe the most empowering step of the whole story We get to consider Jesus heals our work. The king chose Israel. A land was prepared. Kings were given. The king comes into the world. This new kind of world begins to spread. In the New Testament, we see it going from Jerusalem to Rome and then the ends of the earth. It's the great drama of our salvation. It's the great drama of how God runs the world by giving men and women jobs to do and by giving kids school to study and to be ready to level up to do your part. And in the face of all of this sin, all of this idolatry, all of this unfaithfulness to God, God promises to send a deliverer in Genesis chapter 3, verse 12. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, all of creation was groaning for this. The imagery here is like a woman who is ready to give birth. There's moaning and there's groaning. There's pain here. All of creation, it's hurting because of the curse of sin. And our God, our God alone, God heals his creation. And we'll actually be singing about it in just a couple of weeks. He heals this creation as far as the curse is found. It's that great hymn from Isaac Watts based on Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Joy to the, lo- joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room in heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. Think about these words. We're rejoicing that God is lifting the curse. He's healing the curse on his creation. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as far as, far as the curse is found. It's the anthem of Christmas. He's healing the curse finally. The very broken world that we live in, it's the anthem of Christmas. He's offering to heal all that. It's what men and women have and we possess and we carry in us as we show up at our jobs. The healing kingdom of God, it is present here. The Bible tells us, some of us in here, we're wondering and we're waiting on different timing issues in our lives. Galatians chapter four, verses four through seven tells us, in the fullness of time, God sent his son to be born from a woman, born under the law to redeem those of us who are under the law. If you're sitting here in your job and your work weighing up, man, when is it gonna be time? When is it gonna be my time? When is my God gonna come through? Remember this again, Galatians 4, 4 through 7, in the fullness of time, God comes. And the Redeemer comes. He lives a perfect life. He died a substitutionary and sacrificial death. Ezekiel is a beautiful book. He looks in again and again and again. I I will remove all your sins. He looks at his people, not saying straighten yourself out. He looks at his people, says, I will remove all those idols. I'll take them all out. 
He says, I will remove all of your uncleannesses. And through the cross of Jesus Christ, where the great, our great problem is how what we do with work is we lay our hands on God's creation and we make things in our image and we make things in our likeness and we make things so we can stamp our name up at the top. Whereas we're constantly substituting ourselves for God and our work for God's work, God comes along. And as John Stott says, where it's the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Beautiful. All we do, all we do, we make idols. All we do is we craft little security blankets for ourselves. What our God does, our God comes and he substitutes himself for us and our sin. It's beautiful. Romans chapter five, verse eight. This is part of the power you bring into your in your job, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about walking into your job on Monday, anointed with that verse right there. You know what? When I was my God's enemy, he came and he gave his life for me. So I can walk around this place today and I can hand out some mercy. God has been patient with me. I'm going to be patient with her today. God has been patient with me. I'm going to be patient with him or them today. And we show up at our jobs remembering Babel gets reversed. Acts chapter two, the spirits poured out. Acts chapter two, the tongues of fire come down. It's the reversal of what we saw in Genesis chapter 11. People saying, oh, let's come together. We don't want to have to get spread out. Let's make a name for us. What God does is God, God brings a penalty. He scatters them out. He confuses their language. And Acts chapter two is the healing of Genesis chapter 11. Where we can understand each other. There's understanding, there's insight because the spirit is here. Loads of implications for how Paul talks about the church in Corinth with the tongues of angels. And what does it mean to speak in the tongues of men? But that's another sermon for another day. What does this mean for us? We receive, we repent, we receive, we repent, we rejoice, and we pursue the way of renewal. Charles Serge Spurgeon said, it's all because of Jesus. Christ is the central fact of world history. To him, everything looks forward or backward. All the lines of history converge on him. All the great purposes of God culminate in him. He was just trying to think, what does this mean for my work? It comes back to Jesus. Next week, David Brown is bringing us a word from the new creation, how the garden in Genesis 1 and 2 becomes a city in Revelation 21 and 22. It's the ultimate goal of the Bible, a completely restored creation. It starts in a garden, it ends in a city. It's a, it's a restoration work. Sure, human salvation's right there in it. It's extremely important. But the curse at Eden that brought mental and social and cultural alienation and brokenness, it gets removed. And Christ's redemption is about a fullness of a restoration and not simply an individual pardon for sin. The whole thing is restored in the end. And God says, he says in Isaiah 43, it's, it's the word that's repeated in Revelation 21, behold, I am making all things new. And there's a banner to carry with you as you step into your office. I belong to the God who is making all things new. And that's not limited to my heart or my warped desires, my, my little idiosyncrasies that I can never sort out in my head. He's making all things new. Habakkuk tells us God's desire is this, 
that the knowledge of his glory will cover the earth like the water covers the bottom of the ocean floor. He's going to restore the whole thing. Every dark alley is going to get restored. It's going to be pristine. It's going to belong to him. Every high place, every Babel is going to be restored. It's going to be co-opted. It's going to belong to the king. It's going to be a part of his kingdom. Everything. He says, I am making all things new. That's the kingdom. That's the story that tells us about the kingdom. And what we need is power. And this power comes from Jesus. And as we think about the fact that our God is a redeemer, he can buy us back from the bondage of sin. Our God was redeeming the world through our very lives, indeed, through our specific vocations. But it all comes down to Jesus. It's not like there's appendix in the book and you go and you study the appendix and you get some faith and work top tips. No, you keep staring at Jesus and you keep staring at Jesus and you keep staring at Jesus. And the beauty of Jesus starts to make sense for every aspect of our lives. So with that, your work needs a stabilizing power. Let me give you a few of them right now in relationship to Jesus. And we can land here. How the Christian faith shapes your work. Number one, notice this. Jesus gives you an inner spiritual peace without which work would drain you. Jesus offers that for your job. Jesus offers that to you, students, in your studies. It's important for professionals who get tired. It's important for professionals who tend to tie their identity in their work. It's important for all of us that can deal with different levels of emotional devastation. Who hasn't felt the, the disappointment from a lack of success? Who hasn't felt the disappointment from a lack of promotion? And Jesus and Jesus alone can give you a spiritual peace without which work would just drain you. He told one person, now if you believe in me, I will become in you a well constantly welling up to eternal life. How refreshing does that sound for our parched and weary jobs? Possessing the very fountain of the Holy Spirit within us, able to show up at our jobs depending on the presence of God to constantly refresh us. It's because the gospel will give us an identity not based on our outward performance. And, and, and it can protect us both from being too high when things are going well, and it can protect us from being too, too discouraged when things aren't really working out. The second thing, Jesus shows us the dignity and usefulness of all work without which work could bore you. Or, I didn't know how to word this bit, without which we could all look down on other people. Um, different postcodes doing different things. I imagine when I walked outside this morning, someone had stepped in front of the house. They brought the recycling to the edge and I saw it there and I ran in there and they, they had it, had it where they wanted. I came back and it was just empty. That wasn't magic. God was caring for a family. Watch this. He was caring for a whole street. He's caring for a whole city by having specific individuals tasked with specific jobs to help cultivate his creation. Jesus can show us a dignity and a usefulness for all sorts of work without which we'd just be bored out of our minds or without which we'd just arrogantly be looking down on other people that aren't doing the jobs we're doing. You can even see the bin get moved. Do you think God's wearing a mask somewhere around here today? You can see the bin got emptied and you can be encouraged. My God is here. He's tending to something through his people again. This is where we remember Luther and those masks of God. Think about how practical it is. 
Our testimony will often be, God healed me. We'll say, I wasn't feeling well, so I went to the doctor. The nurse ran some tests. The lab techs identified a problem. So the doctor gave me a prescription. I got the prescription filled at the chemist. And that, and after time, I felt a lot better, but it was all God who healed me. God used all these different medical vocations to heal me. Jesus can give us this large view of work we can appreciate. Look at everything he's doing. We can say God talked to me. God spoke to me. We can say the, the, the person was reading the book and the pastor was there explaining the book, maybe drawing out some insights from the book. And in all of it, I was discouraged because I had a thing that someone said in the last week and God used all of that to speak to me, he used a vocation to do something in your life. We, we say God fed me. He didn't feed me with manna, but he fed me with some people at a, a quick food option. He, he, God fed me. We can say God clothed me. We can say God sheltered me. We can say God sheltered me. God gave me resources with the help of my employer. God entertained me. Thanks to the talents that he gave to a musician playing as I was walking through the tomb station late that night, I popped the AirPod out and I could just listen for a minute. These are the gifts of God at work through an everyday person. You can see how it goes. Number three, God, Jesus can give you a moral compass without which work could corrupt you. Without Jesus being a moral compass for us, we show up at our jobs wondering, which way should I go today? No, but if he is the king and we're in his story and we're depending on his power, he's the one here. So then we don't wonder anything that is legal, that maximizes profits can be done no matter how exploitative. No, we can even navigate those situations. No, no, no. Jesus is my compass. Even though this might be legal, this might not be best. Let me think here. Number four, Jesus gives you a worldview without which work could control you and conform you. Without this story to belong to, we show up in our jobs wondering, what day is it? Who am I? What's supposed to happen? Where's this whole thing headed? No, but within this story, we're reminded No, I know who I am. I know who my God is. I know what this job matters for. Unless Christians have a a clear understanding here, we'll be conformed to the world instead of counterforming away from it. Here's the last one. Jesus gives you a hope without which work can crush your spirit. Some enter our professions with full expectation that we're going to make a difference. And others of us are just far too cynical. We just scoff at that. We think who could ever. But Jesus can give you a hope that won't crush your spirit. Who hasn't shown up in a situation thinking, oh, we're going to be able to get the outcome here. But then you see all the forces that are stacked against change. You see all the forces at work on the human heart. You see all the systemic problems in a culture around. You see there's an exploited workforce around. You see people who are always on the cusp of poverty who feel crushed by the current economic system. And in enters the doctrine of Christian hope. And in enters the already but not yetness of the kingdom of God. It's an enormous resource. Because Christians can show up to all of our different vocational sectors. And we can believe. I don't know how this fully works out, but the kingdom and the power of God, it is here and it is present today. There's so much that is broken and warped and it looks like beyond repair around. 
Maybe I won't get to see the fullness of it, but I do believe I'll see something. And faith is the way to bring the already of the not yet fully here, a kingdom of God into the present. And you hear all of this and you're just thinking, man, honestly, like, how does it come in a simple verse? Elizabeth read it for us. It was Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Our friends are going to pass out the Lord's Supper here, and we're just going to kind of hang in our seats for just a moment. And as this comes through, um, let me tune you in to how this connects with your job. Um, On the night that Jesus was going to give his life to be betrayed for not just the sins of the whole, whole world, but the reconciliation of his creation, they had a meal together. And as they had this meal, it was a very simple meal. It was bread and it was wine. And they sat at the table and Jesus took this meal and he passed it around. He told them about the, the, new, the new covenant, the new promise that he was making and the new way that was going to be opened through these very events. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, then I just encourage you, let this basket pass by you, but don't let the invitation of this moment pass you by. What we have the opportunity for, we have the opportunity to literally eat and drink as small as this is, I admit. And to remember that the only way we're going to be nourished, the only way we're going to be satisfied in our jobs is if God is the one to actually satisfy us. So if you're here this afternoon and you're not a Christian, just let these baskets pass and you keep listening to me. What these baskets represent is that God is king and God has a gospel. And the gospel is, though his kingdom suffered a rebellion from the mutiny of his subjects, the king has responded in mercy and in grace. And the king has not decided to obliterate those who stand against him. The king has decided to have a season of pardon, a season of mercy, where whosoever will can flag up and say, I know I'm a part of that rebellion and I would love to be part of things getting made right. And you believe in that gospel. You believe in that news that though we have done wrong, the king has made a way where things could be made right. You accept it. You you admit I'm a sinner. I repent and you have faith. You believe on this gospel and you get to come under the reign and under the rule of the king. Though the kingdom is advancing, and though all who refuse to come under the reign of the king in this life will be put under the reign of the king in the life to come, you can have rest. So Jesus sits there as the king of the whole world at a humble table. The carpenter sits at a table, and in that moment, they're being served by different people in their vocation. Somebody baked bread, somebody made wine. They gather around and Jesus made a promise with his people. Jesus says, I am going to go and be betrayed to make a way for all of this to be made right. And and it's just sheer good news. He doesn't hand around a clipboard and ask people to sign up for different jobs. He doesn't just give out this list of long rules that everybody's going to have to do to be made right. He just says, out of my love, I'm going to go do this. 
there are two elements. There was bread and there was wine. And the Bible tells us they, they took the bread, passed it around. Everybody broke some off. Jesus told his followers, this bread represents my body and it is going to be broken for you. Let me say this to you workers. You as your body, it wears down and it breaks down under the strain and the toil of working in this already, but not yet kingdom to come full of thorns and thistles, but a sure path anyways. You can take and you can eat and you can remember the greatest work has already been accomplished. Jesus' body has already been torn open on the cross. Let's be nourished again. Bible tells us after they ate, they drank, and all the covenants in the Old Testament, they had they had signs and seals that made them that made them legit. It was blood every time. And Jesus comes along and he takes wine and he says, "This represents a new covenant that I'm making with you here." And he goes out from this moment. He goes to a cross and he secures our salvation. Paul takes up the theme later, and Paul talks about how every time we drink the cup. We're to remember that we actually have a job. We have a role. We're heralds, all of us together in our jobs. We're proclaimers. So take and drink and remember there's news to share. Be satisfied. The bread and the cup still on our tongues. We can remember only Jesus can nourish us and only Jesus can give us the resource we need to be able to be a Christian in our jobs. <laughs>